Please turn with me to John 21, 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they had caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? He answered them, no. They said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragged the net full of the fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be in your house this morning. We are grateful that you have blessed us with students of incredible talent and gifts who participate in leading us in worship. We're thankful for a church that supports this and equips us for ministry. Father, now I pray that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear from your very word. Things that might challenge us, things that might refine us. Watch over us, Lord, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome to Youth Sunday. We are happy to have you. And after Aiden and that video, I'm tempted to just call it a day Um, because I really don't know how it gets better from here. But we're going to keep going because I'll get in trouble if I don't. Um, We're going to be in John chapter 21 today. So if you have your Bibles, we're at the very end of the book of John 21st chapter. Um, And we have a lot of ground to cover today. So I'm just going to dive right into it. December 14th, 2012. 12, a major blockbuster film was released. Some of you guys might have seen it. It was called The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Any Tolkien fans in the room? All right. So uh, I'm not a huge fiction book reader. Uh, I'm just going to be very honest with you. Now, now The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, is the prequel to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And in fact, it leads right up into the events of Lord of the Rings. I didn't know any of this going into the movie. I'm not a fiction reader because I own a TV. Uh, And so it's just never been something I do. Um, I'm just going to wait for a director to put it together to feed my convenience. Uh, And and so um, here's what I am, though. I'm a big fan of epic movies. I love adventure. I love chase scenes. I love sword battles or gunfights or whatever it is. Send your emails later. I don't care. Uh, I, I just love the kind of action thing. And I especially love movies when I'm on Christmas break at my in-law's house. Um, especially when my wife's four other sisters are home. And so when I hear there's a three-hour movie, I'm like, baby, sign me up. We're going. Uh, I'm, I'm getting on Fandango buying tickets in advance. I'm buying, like, everybody tickets. And so 
It was my wife, me, and her then high school age sister, Abby, and we go to see The Hobbit, an unexpected journey, and for two hours and 49 minutes, we are treated to one of the most epic adventures that I have ever seen on the big screen. And again, I have no idea what's going on in this thing. I just know some hobbits, which are little people. Um, they are on this journey to what's called the Lonely Mountain, their home. They're reclaiming it from a dragon named Smog. Anyway, um, <laughs> Towards what turned out to be the end of the movie, they're captured by orcs. Okay, you, you bearing with me so far? Because this is convoluted. Their friends, the Eagles, so Don Henley, Timothy B. Schmidt, um, a couple other guys, they show up and they save the hobbits, all right? They're flying away. And all of a sudden, you see the lonely mountain off in the distance. There it is. There's the goal. And these eagles, they land on a mountain peak, and you still see the lonely mountain way off in the distance. And then, boom, black screen. Movie's over. And here I am thinking, got a few questions. And here, but that's not the worst part. The thing is, there's people in the theater that start clapping. There's applause. And I'm like, Tolkien's been dead since 73. What are you clapping for? I have questions. Why didn't the eagles just keep flying? Are they not team players? They get tired along the way? How are these hobbits going to get off this mountain? They're short. They don't have climbing gear. I see no D-hooks on their belt. But my third question is, what now? What now? I haven't read the books. I don't know what's going on. I was left with this, um, this discontentment in me. I had questions. How does this pan itself out? I mean, what, what happens here? And they didn't release the next movie until two years later, so I just completely forgot and lost interest. But <laughs> I don't care anymore. You know. <laughs> but here's the deal. If we're being honest, um, last Sunday, 2,500 people packed into this church across four services. We had regular attending members. We had first-time visitors. We've had friends we haven't seen since Christmas coming through these doors. And we all got together, and we worshiped Jesus. The resurrection, the very foundational belief in our faith, the belief in our faith that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if not for this aspect, if not for the resurrection, we as believers are most to be pitied. And we celebrated that the tomb was empty, that Christ is raised from the dead. But if we're being honest, and if you've read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't they just kind of leave you asking, what now? What's next? In fact, the Gospels don't really provide much instruction. The only real instruction that the disciples have received in the Gospel of John is for them to go wait in Galilee. That's it. Go wait. I'll show up eventually. There's no timeline. There's no nothing. It's just this open-ended statement. Why don't you just go wait for me? And then we get to John chapter 21. We get to John chapter 21, and it says this, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again, that's a key word, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. You might know it as the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. 
So here's the disciples. There's seven disciples here present in John chapter 21. I don't know where the other four are. We know where one of them is. Uh, I didn't go so hot. Um, but there, there's seven disciples present. And they're waiting on Jesus. And all of a sudden, they just kind of get restless. They just kind of get bored. There's kind of this discontentment, this consternation in their hearts of, well, what now? What do we do with this? Because we just saw this guy that we've been following for three years. We saw that he was arrested. We saw that he was crucified, that he actually died. He was put into a tomb, and then three days later he rose. He's appeared, as we'll learn in John 21, 14, three times already, or twice already to the disciples. This is the third time. And they're just kind of waiting around. Now, if you remember, most of these men, most of these seven men, they were fishermen by trade, right, before Christ called them. So they're just slipping back into their old way of life, going back to what they've always done, what they grew up knowing. It's in their blood. It's in their DNA. They just go to the same old, same old. Here's what I think. I think we pack into this church on Easter, and here we are a week removed. We're one week out, seven days out. How many of us have just kind of slipped into the same old, same old? How many of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, are just kind of back to the usual? Because we love Easter. We get dressed up in our seersucker and our pastels and we get the kids together and we get all the extended family to come in because we're going to look good. And we come so close to Christ. Some of you feel his presence in this very room, in the sanctuary down the hall on Easter Sunday or any Sunday that you come here, hopefully. And as good Presbyterian, some of you start swaying a little bit because you feel it. Like Aiden said, you tap your feet, and if you're really close to him, you raise your hand just a little bit. You don't want to come off as cocky, but you get that hand in the air. We see you. We see you. And you feel it. And then we go home. And Monday rolls around, and it seems like most of us live our Christian life in this cyclical fashion. That on Sunday we're so close, and then Monday we just start the drift. Don't we? Am I the only one here? I mean, is this, nobody's nodding their heads? Okay. Maybe. All right, well. That's where the disciples found themselves. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which they had just seen with their own eyes, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ had no real bearing on their lives. It didn't change the way they did their day-to-day lives or go about their schedule. It didn't change the way they treated their spouses or the way they interacted with non-believers at work. They're just back to fishing. Verse 5, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus, after his resurrection, is always a master of disguise. Like, I don't know if he puts a cloak on or wears like a mustache or something, but people just don't recognize him. And he said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered begrudgingly, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. The disciples, they, they drift back into their old way of life. They go, back to the, the, they go back to the de facto, the default, just how they do their life. And here's the thing, believers. Jesus shows up. I think sometimes when we read the Gospels, I think sometimes when we come to church a lot, 
we get so used to this idea that, oh yeah, Jesus is always around. He's just always kind of there and he's all throughout the story. God shows up. Can you imagine the dismay Christ must have felt? Here's these seven men that I've walked with for three years who have seen everything. They've been with me in the garden when subcutaneous blood vessels burst and I began sweating drops of blood. They've seen miracles. They've seen me raise people from the dead. They've seen me resurrected. And here they are just going back to the same old, same old. But he doesn't give up on his disciples. He doesn't. This is the third time he has shown up to them post-resurrection. He's not giving up. Listen, man, I don't know. I don't know how far you've strayed. I don't know what kind of sin or situation or guilt or shame that you're feeling today. I don't know what that thing in your life that keeps defeating you is. I don't. But I know this believer, he won't give up on you. Our Lord will pursue you. And he came to his disciples not once, not twice, but three times. And I, uh, I guess we can just assume that if it wasn't on this time, he would just keep coming. He's not going to leave you. Some of you feel so alone and so abandoned. And some of you feel like you've just gone too far for the grace of God to reach you. Like your sin is something super special and different. And God's like, what on earth? You cannot outrun the love of God. You cannot drift so far away. These are disciples. These are believers. These aren't non-believers. You can't drift so far that the arm of God cannot reach you. Jesus shows up. And he says this. He calls out to them. He says, children, or or little boys is actually what it says. And that's a colloquialism. That's like saying, hey, guys. Um, It's not like derogatory or anything. Have you caught any fish? No. Um, How many professionals in this room like unsolicited advice from strangers that aren't in your field? (laughs) Mark Cleary, I feel like you should probably diversify your portfolio a little later. How about you try that? Nobody wants that kind of advice. I'm a youth minister. I don't know anything. I don't even know what a portfolio is. I saw one in Staples once. I do know what a portfolio is. Um, Nobody wants this kind of advice. These fishermen, these are professionals. This is like the, the deck of the deadliest catch. And at like five in the morning, just as day was breaking, Jesus cries out. And again, they don't know it's Jesus. It's just a stranger. Cries out, hey, you guys catch anything? No. Why don't you throw your nets to the right? And so they did. Now, now, if you're a Bible scholar, if you if you read your scriptures, this seems eerily familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Where else do we find this happening? Luke chapter five, when Jesus begins calling his first disciples in the book of Luke, his first disciple was whom? Hmm? Peter, right? And what does he say? Peter, have you caught anything? No. Well, why don't you cast your net over on that side? And he does. And the exact same thing happens. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his garment for he was naked for work. And that's literally what it says um, in the Greek. And he threw himself, who gets naked for work? And he threw himself into the sea. I love Peter. I love the impulsivity of Peter. I love that Jesus loves Peter. It helps me believe he can love me. Because this is not the first time Peter's done something dumb, right? Because watch this next line. Verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat, 
dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but a hundred yards off. Peter. We all have that friend like Peter, don't we? Just like, man, you got to pull your weight around here. Peter's so impulsive. When they got out to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew who it was. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, what's going on here? There's something really peculiar going on here. And in the English, we don't, we don't see it. Um, but have you ever been in a situation and you didn't predict it, but it just goes bad very quickly? I'm an avid gun guy. Um, I'm sorry if that offends somebody. I just, I like guns. I like collecting guns. I like shooting guns. I'm terrible at it, but I like it. And so recently, my, um, my wife has decided she's going to put parameters around all the gun stuff. So I have a gun safe, and I have a certain area of the home where I can clean guns, and I can do gun-related activities. I don't shoot in the house. That's just foolish. Um, but I would if I could. Um, now, the reason she put these rules into place is because we have a two-year-old daughter who puts everything in her mouth, right? That's just where we're at in life. So one day I go shooting with the boys, I come back home and I start cleaning one of my guns in the assigned location. And Caroline was not with me in that room. We left her out in the backyard. There's a fence. She was fine. She was spreading pine straw. And um, I'm joking. Don't call DSS. Oh my gosh. Um, so, so I get called away. I had something that was POD that day. I get called away. And for whatever reason, I just forget about it. I just forget that the, there's a gun disassembled all right up there and I get home and my wife was home and she's holding Caroline in one arm and then on the table on the kitchen table there's three nine millimeter bullets um and here's here's the thing guys when your wife starts asking you rhetorical questions you're in trouble right because they know and they know that you know and that's when things go really bad she looks at me I walk in why you got a gun? <laughs> she goes, what are those? Now, my wife knew what they were. She's way smarter than me. And in that moment, I knew it was about to go down. <laughs> this is exactly what's happening here. The author, John, is using, is using what's called a literary inclusio. All right? It links a common symbol across two events. Here's what I mean. In the Greek, the word for fire is a completely different word than the word for charcoal fire. All right, what we find right here in verse 9. There's only, now the author John uses fire everywhere in the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, all of those places. He only uses the word for charcoal fire one other time across his five books in the New Testament. Do you know where that is? John 18, 18. And it says this, Simon, I'm starting in 15, actually I'm going to start in 16, but Peter stood outside at the door. This is when Jesus was arrested and in trial. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are also one of this man's disciples, aren't you? And he said, I am not. 
Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Peter gets to the shore. He had jumped in. He had swam before all the other disciples. He gets to the shore and he sees a charcoal fire there. And he knows there's unfinished business between him and Christ. So we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We talk about what now? first call of the gospel is to repent. The first call of the gospel is to repent. That's the what now. Jesus and Peter had unsettled business because in 13, John 13, 37, in front of all the other disciples, Peter proclaims, I don't care what these scrubs do. I will never betray you. I'll go to jail and I'll even die for you. And then on the night of his arrest, three times, I do not know him. I do not know him. And then the third time he starts calling down curses because I do not know him. And not once, not twice, but three times Jesus has shown up and provided Peter with an opportunity for confession and repentance. But what does Peter do? Pushes it deep down. Pretends like everything's okay. Not addressing the elephant in the room. Aren't we, Peter? How many of us this morning are wearing the mask? We have unrepentant sin in our lives and we push it deep down and we don't want anyone to talk about it and we don't want to come clean. We don't want to go see a counselor. We just are going to act like everything's okay. Why? Because it's just between me and God and I'm not hurting anybody else. And so I'm not going to deal with it. And then so many of us wonder why our relationships with Christ stall and suffer from a failure to thrive. Some of us in this room are alcoholics. It's tearing your families apart. It's hurting people. And there's long-lasting ramifications that will probably outlive you. Some of you are addicted to pornography. It is gradually decaying your heart and your mind and your relationship with Christ. Some of you, your marriages are falling apart. And here's the divine irony. So often as pastors, we hear people say, well, I don't want to get counseling because what would people think if they found out? What are they going to think when the divorce is finalized? You know, the book of Proverbs says only a fool laughs when he's on fire. You know why? Because when a wise person's on fire, they say, someone help me. I'm on fire Man, our lives are on fire today. And I don't mean like you're hitting every three-point shot kind of fire. I mean like you are on fire. Get help. Do something. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us to this really beautiful place where we can be transparent and we can admit our sins and confess to trusted people. And we can confess to him because we don't have to earn his love. It brings us to this place where we are accepted and approved of as righteous. And so we can get help. And that's where Peter is. Verse 15. I know this sitting on your bulletins. Don't freak out. We didn't talk about this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of man. Do you love me more than these? These what? Um, some people, if you read commentaries, some will say the fish, meaning his old way of life. Some will say the disciples because Peter just keeps putting his foot in his mouth. Um, 
Either way, it doesn't matter for right now. Simon, son of man, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Um, the first call of the gospel on our lives, the first what now is repent. Get help. Nobody's going to judge you. We're not here to critique you. We're not here to compare our sin to your sin. And somehow your sin is worse. And so it makes me feel better about myself. That's not what we're doing here. This is a place, and, and Shelton says this all the time, this is a place of brokenness and healing. But the second thing, the second thing is Christ repurposes us. Repentance and repurposing. Because I think sometimes as the church, we like to focus on that first aspect of our salvation. That I'm forgiven, um, I'm in, I'm in heaven, things are great, I'm blessed, I'm highly favored, you're the Lord's favor. And, and here's what happens when we do that. Salvation becomes all about me. Doesn't it? It becomes all about me and I can continue living life my way with my goals, with my vision. And he loves me and I'm forgiven and so I can do whatever I want. But the reality of the gospel and the example we get shown over and over and over is that Christ repurposes us upon salvation. That you and I have been endowed with a mission That grace was never meant to terminate on us. We are not called to be dead ends of God's grace, but conduits. If you have kids in the room, you know exactly what a conduit is. Because your boss pays you and somehow all that money goes right to your kid. And in the same way, we're supposed to be conduits of God's grace. That the very same mercy that is shown to Peter... And that is shown to you can be shown to the people in your workplace or at lacrosse practice or wherever it is that you find yourself. Why? Because Acts 17, you have been uniquely gifted and you have been uniquely placed in your social circles, in your area code and wherever it is to be on mission. God's got a role for you. He does. If he can use Peter, he can use you. And he will. And so today... I think we find ourselves at kind of a crossroads because we can, we have one of two choices. We can do what Peter had been doing and we can say, yeah, yeah, yeah there's this thing I'm dealing with in my life and I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to tuck it away. I'm not ready to deal with it yet. The Puritans used to call that my darling sin, this thing in our lives that we're just, we know it's sin, but we like it too much and we don't want to give it up. And if we're being honest, that's a step towards hardening your heart towards the gospel. It is. Or we can choose to follow. We can choose to deal with that junk in our lives that's keeping us back from Christ. And here's the thing, believer. Whatever you're dealing with in your life, it's not going to shock God. You're not going to pray later today and God goes, oh my goodness. Jesus, you've got to hear this. It's not going to do that. It's not going to shock him. He knows. And yet in the midst of your sin, in the midst of you pushing that deep down, he still loves you and he's going to show up and he's going to call out to you and he's going to forgive you. 
And then he's going to commission you to do something. Because there's work to be done. You know, on the shore, Jesus doesn't say, do you love me? Peter responds, yeah. And then they fist bump and go their separate ways. That's not what happens. Because if you love me, then feed my sheep. If you love me, do something. God's got a role for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, this morning, you are calling out to your people. That through your very word, through the story of Peter, that you beckon us to come and to lay all of our garbage down at the foot of the cross. And there's healing and there's hope and there's forgiveness. There's work to be done. And so, Father, I pray this morning you would stir in our hearts to deal with whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or pornography or pride or greed or apathy. I pray that you would move in us, Father. I'd be with us as we continue in worship. In Christ's name I pray.